Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. These women have apologized for Michael Darby over and over and over again. Hey, bud. All right. Okay. I just don't feel like that's right for him to put his hands on anybody. If he walked in here right now, they would hug him and offer him tea and crumpets. But my husband, who has never given anyone a reason to think ill of him, is now the target. Help me understand. I'm sure you all have said something about each other. Yes, I've said things that are true. And don't cut out none of my fourth wall. None of it. I want it all in there. What is happening? I'm just going to take my black ass and get out. Because the alternative is Giselle gets the ratatata one. I ain't giving y'all that. I'm sorry. I'm on a yoga mat. I got things to do and shit to lose. Not today, Satan. Not today, neck. Not today, ankles. You don't have to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry, our Housewives edition. It is our last day of a three Housewives schedule. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to be done with Beverly Hills. And I'm so happy to just be wrapped in the warm embrace of the two ladies that I love the most, Miss Salt Lake and Mrs. Potomac. And with that, let's start off our recaps with Potomac, right? The fourth wall is broken, y'all. 
The triangle is being utilized. Candace is in the bathroom telling Eric, the producer, uh, if this is about to be about maligning her husband, she's going to leave. So the ladies are in the lobby of the dance studio. They're kind of just sitting around confused as to what's going on with Candace. So Candace is telling Eric that there's some hypocrisy happening because with Ashley's former ass-grabbing motherfucking husband, Michael, um, he's been on record grabbing people, and yet certain members of the cast, <clears throat> Giselle, um, seem to have no problem hugging him when he's in their presence and acting as though nothing happened. So then she says, you know, y'all will come in, or they will come in this room and they'll offer Michael Darby tea and crumpets, but Chris, who has never given anybody a reason to make anybody think ill of him, is now the target. But Eric tells Candace, you know, I think all of you guys have said stuff about each other at one point or another, but, you know, she's like, everything I've said is the truth. And then she walks out of the bathroom and says, and don't cut none of my fourth wall. I want it all in here. Ugh. And this is why we need Potomac. This is why Potomac is so necessary. It's just scrappy. And you know, I was thinking the other day that Potomac is a lot like America. You know, for all its faults, there's still a lot of good stuff here. And America has no problem telling everybody else um, how wrong they are. Even if, you know, there may have been a time or two when um, Miss America hasn't been correct herself. With that being said, like, they'll let, they'll let you know. They have no problem. And they're out here really, like, doing the work and establishing themselves. And we should be grateful for that. We really, really should. Candace takes her uh, Christian Dior purse that has been her very best friend all season and leaves, okay? Later, Ashley asks Giselle where Candace went. And she's like, oh, you know, I think her stomach might be hurting or something. But I'm wondering, is that, like, Giselle not wanting to break the fourth wall? Or is that Giselle not wanting to tell everybody that, uh, you know, Candace was about to go ratatata on her, but decided not to? <laughs> Candace in a confessional says... You know, I've got things to do and I've got shit to lose. So not today, Satan. Not today, neck. Not today, ankles. We don't have it. <laughs> I mean, Candace is a problematic fave and we just have to admit that. I, I do anyway. I, I will just admit that the, she makes me laugh. She may not be perfect, but she, I mean, when she said she was a wordsmith at the uh, reunion, we may have laughed, but listen. Candace Dillard is a perfect example of I might tell you a joke, but I'll never tell you a lie, okay? She might tell you a joke, but she will never tell you a lie. And again, much like America, we have to appreciate that. So now that Candace is gone, Giselle decides to take Mia aside to hash their stuff out. And Giselle decides to take an entire two-tiered tray of cupcakes with them, you know. And and honestly, I probably would have done the same. So when they leave, Ashley's like, you know, I just kind of feel... Like, it's a little bit unfair that Giselle is the only person taking the flack for all of this with Mia stuff, because technically we all thought it was fishy. And this is when it really gets funny, because Wendy's making a lot of claims. She's saying that uh, her, she recently had a friend pass from cancer, so she really doesn't want to, like, 
get into anything murky, but she believes Mia and she thinks that maybe it would have been in her best interest to have been more clear in her messaging. Here's the thing with Mia is that Mia's like the girl who cried wolf, right? And I feel like that's people aren't being uh uh clear or eloquent or you know concise enough in that messaging the reason why people don't believe mia is because she has had a tendency to just say anything and then people have to piece it together later there have been multiple instances in which she's uh played telephone with whoever member of the cast and then they're mad at somebody else and then come to find out Mia just said the wrong thing the entire time and she's like oops sorry (laughs) so that's really why they think that right and uh, frankly she does it later again in the best moment in all of Bravo this week but we got to get into the second best moment and we're doing it right now so Mia's like Giselle tells Mia uh, in their conversation that it really wasn't her business to be coming at Mia like that. And Mia's like, I get it. But my issue was that I was just surprised that you, Giselle, out of everybody would have come for me that hard and that you attacked me in the setting. Like, honestly, I expected to, to come from new booty Wendy over you any day. <laughs> so Giselle actually apologizes, which I found refreshing. Um, Because Giselle will often uh, explain to somebody that she knows what wrong she's done, but we don't often get an I'm sorry from Giselle. So that was really refreshing. And so then meanwhile, Robin's kind of coming for Wendy out in the lobby because basically Robin, I think, misheard what was going on. So at Karen's Celebration of Life taco event, um... Giselle had just said, hey, Mia, this is cancer, no cancer. And then all the girls were talking about it. And then Wendy kind of comes in like halfway into the conversation. And to me, it seemed like she was trying to piece together what was happening. So Mia was saying, oh, Giselle and Robin are coming for me. And so what me or what Wendy was like, oh, I heard Giselle was coming for you. But what did Robin do? Like she was just trying to get clarity. That's what I thought anyway. But it seemed like Robin thought that Wendy was actually pointing the finger at she and Giselle, which Robin didn't like. So Wendy tells Robin she wasn't doing the same things that Giselle and Robin were doing and that she was actually embracing Rhea and asking her if she was okay. But the energy that Giselle and Robin was giving was a lot different. So then Wendy takes, tells Robin to stand in her truth because she was the one who accused Mia of being a liar. And Robin starts standing up yelling, well, I'm standing on it. I'm standing on it. And then, I mean, listen, we all know Robin's not about to fight anybody. We, we've seen it. We've seen it. Sharice didn't even have to bother lifting up her arm to act like she was shielding her. It wasn't going to happen. Can you imagine? Robin talks a lot, but she doesn't really, she's not really about that action. And that's fair. You know, that's fair. I just think it's funny. Because Robin very quickly was like, well, see, I guess Wendy told me to sit down, so I'm going to sit down then. (laughs) And I don't think that did what she thought it did. But anyway, me and Giselle come back to the group and they're like, okay, everything's good between us. And Giselle says that she still has, or it's Mia rather, tells everybody that she still has lumps that need to be removed but it's like i think it's march at this point early march the doctors told her that she can hold off until august which is what she's gonna do it sounds like 
you can wait until after filming, right? So then Robin uses this opportunity to tell Mia that she would really like to get to know her better. And she knows that Mia's got a son and her sons are really into basketball. And so why don't we all hang out? Next week is spring break for everybody, it seems like. So she asks Ashley, uh, Giselle, Charisse, Mia, y'all kids all off for school next week? Yeah, yeah, let's hang out. And so Wendy's just sitting there like, are you seriously not inviting my kids to this kid event? <laughs> like, it's really rude. And I have to agree. Like, you know, I feel like housewives have like an ever evolving um rules about the kids and who can be involved and who can and you talk about the kids or you know whatever but i think to intentionally have a children's event and not bring or not even invite people's children i just think that's a little bit too low like i personally wouldn't do it robin said just like she was doing in the the uh, dance studio, she's standing in that. And she actually doesn't give a shit, so <laughs> I guess she doesn't. I'm also trying to rack my brain for like, did something happen between Wendy and Robin last season that I'm not remembering? Like, is it just we're giving all of this energy over the Mia situation that just happened? Because that's kind of a lot, Robin. The scene ends and we get a hot mic footage clip of a producer talking to Wendy. We don't see them. We just hear them. Right. And Wendy gets asked by the producer, uh, how is your relationship with Mia? And she's like, oh, you know, I think it's fine. Me and Karen are the only ones who are trying to give her a chance. But <laughs> Mia's lying. So who cares? Like, we all know she's lying. <laughs> excuse me, 20 minutes prior to where Wendy's going off on Robin about how she needs to stand in her truth and call it, about calling Mia a liar. And then you hear Wendy say, oh, I'm still mic'd up. Sweetie, can you take my microphone off of me, please? <laughs> Wendy. When I, cause I don't, did I watch, I don't think I watched this slide. No, I didn't. So when everybody, I was seeing everybody's reaction, I thought Wendy had like already been talking like to other people about how she thought Mia was liar. But girl, you could have been in the clear and you decided to wait until after you had this uh, stand in your truth speech to then say that you think she's lying. <laughs> like, you really could have just kept that shit to yourself and you caught your, you played yourself, Wendy. Dr. Wendy, you played yourself on that one. We need to see more footage of hypocrisy like that amongst all the Housewives franchises. Let's let's keep breaking that fourth wall so we can hear all the ladies talking shit about each other after they film a scene. Let's do that. Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe anymore. So we see three hours later <clears throat> after Candace has left. She's back at home. She's on FaceTime with her doctor to do her first round of the IV injections for her IVF. So she's like in the kitchen, like trying to hype herself up to give herself the shot. The doctor's like, yeah, like it's super easy. You know, don't worry about it. Just one, two, three in. And so Candace is like, oh, I don't want to do this. And like doctor's like, uh-huh. So one, two, three. <laughs> that doctor does not like Candace. <laughs> Candace, I'm going to need you to find somebody else who's maybe a little bit more patient. But also, I feel like 
doctors are probably like, I wasn't imagining at some point in my career having to like be on FaceTime while somebody uh, shoots himself up with IVF drugs. So, you know, maybe, maybe I should think about that. In the next scene, Karen and Ray go get their nails done. <clears throat> and Karen decides that this is a perfect opportunity to ask Ray how he feels about other men being attracted to her. <laughs> when they first sit down, Ray looks over at Karen and goes, do you do this all the time? And she's like, oh, well, of course, Ray. Like, I have to love him, Karen. I have to. <laughs> In the form of dip nails. And I, I, I really appreciate that. So... Ray basically is like, yeah, you know, like I, there is a little bit of insecurity that goes on when you are a man married to a very attractive woman. But, you know, Garen kind of leads the conversation and was like, well, you said that I could have eye candy. And like, are you OK with that? And he goes, yeah, I mean, as long as the candy is just candy. Where are we going with this, Karen? I'm dying to know. So then we see Ashley and her brother go to check out a house and it was just incredible. It was incredible to see these two songwriters, the songwriters of Coffee and Love back together again. That's history and herstory at the same time, which is honestly very rare. As soon as they went through the door, Ashley's brother hugs this woman and I'm like, how the hell would he know this? Because I was really about to go in on him because, you know, People who don't have money, and I'm including myself on this, always have the most opinions about people's big purchases. So, like, he's going through the house and, like, knocking on the wall and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's real good wood. And, like, how are we feeling about this? We really got to get a move on this, Ashley. And I'm like, sir, <laughs> is your name about to – are you – did you make this LLC? Is your name about to be on it, too? What's going on here? So we find out that this woman is Natalie. And – Ashley's a little bit dubious as to what her role is, but she says that she's known Natalie about it as long as she's known Michael. She has worked with Michael over the years in like some sort of real estate business partner capacity. I don't know, but um, Ashley's like so far in the house hunt that they have put three offers on houses, but they've been bought out by people who have put all cash offers on the homes. Right. So the producer asks Ashley, um, have you talked to Michael about maybe doing a cash offer on the house? And she's like, well, Michael said it wasn't a good idea. And, you know, I agree. And there are three really good reasons why you wouldn't do that. Like, um, like refinancing or something. And then she just kind of sits there. She doesn't have the other two. She said there were three. I think she came up with maybe half. <laughs> half a one. <laughs> Poor dear. And then we get back into the house and Ashley's talking about how, like, you know, that because she had told the ladies, like the episode before, that they were keeping mum on the separation announcement because they were trying to get financing and that that might not be something that would be advised of them until after they are able to clinch that financing. So Ashley's talking to Natalie about, yeah, you know, like we kind of have to keep mom and stuff. And Natalie's like, uh, you know, excuse me, Ash is talking about how long of a process this has all been because of it. And that is like, yeah, 
Michael did tell me in confidence that you guys were getting separated, but we've already got the financing. Like, it's totally fine. And Ashley's looking at her like, this is news to her. So then back in the confessional, the producers ask Ashley, does it bother you that Michael didn't tell you about getting the financing? And Ashley's like, yeah, I mean, it does make me side-eye him a little bit because I thought us getting the financing was contingent upon our marital status. And then the producer asks Ashley, are you concerned that you're so early into this and Michael's lying? Like he's lying right out of the gate. And Ashley goes, you know, it is concerning, but I just can't let that bog me down. And she just stares at the camera again. This woman's ability to compartmentalize is amazing. Like it honestly should be studied. Like her, I mean, like the girl's been through it. It's almost Kim Kardashian-like in which she's able to just like have this tunnel vision. She's able to just keep swimming, just keep moving, get towards the goal. Like, I think we're all clear at this point that Ashley's trying to play the long game, (laughs) I think, right? And like trying to play the game with Michael and just get this house and keep it pushing. But she's getting played. And the only thing that she knows how to do is just like, just be strong. Just act like everything's okay. Act like it's not bothering you. Acting like you're hoping that Michael's doing the right thing on camera. But I just feel like Ashley, I think people count her out as a dumb gold digger a lot more than they should. I really do. So Natalie gives Ashley and her brother some time to talk. And she starts to talk about how Once she moves, this is going to be the first time that she's actually lived by herself and how it's kind of just confirmation that her marriage is over. And then she puts her hands up to her face and makes a lot of cry adjacent noises. But I didn't even see the welling up of a tear in her eyes. And, you know, I just want to be fair. And like as a journalist, as an investigative journalist, um, you know, I feel like I should tell you guys everything that I've witnessed or in this case, didn't witness. And honestly, this might be a moment where you think that I'm trying to imply that Ashley's being a fake. But actually, I think this is a perfectly normal response. It's frankly shocking to me that Ashley's been able to drum up any sort of moisture with regard to Michael Darby. So the fact that she's not actually crying is way more normal than if she would have been. Speaking of houses, we go over to Robin's new house. And I feel like this was the first time we got a really good look at it. And it was cute. Like maybe it was a little bit gray for me, but overall it was cute. There was a a couch that I want to get a better look at. It looked like kind of burnt orangey, maybe a little bit mustard yellowy. And I like that. I wanted to see more of it. I think she's got some good taste. Honestly, this might be the best house that we've seen on Potomac. Yeah, because Concrete City, Ashley's in Michael's penthouse. That's a no for me, dog. Um, uh, The West Wing over uh, uh, at Chateau Giselle. No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. The two houses that she put together is going to be a no for me. And all the fuchsia, the Barney colored walls. No. That's going to be a no for me. Um, Karen's house is rented, so I don't think that counts, as well as Mia's. Um, I mean, we can include Sharice since she's back in the game now, but, like, all I remember of her house is that champagne room, which she paid, what, something in the six figures for? Just a small room to house floor-to-ceiling champagne bottles, so 
I don't even know if she lives there anymore. So yeah, congratulations to you, Robin. You won mostly out of default, but also out of good taste. Robin has a conversation with Juan, kind of about their wedding, but more about signing a prenup. So she starts this by saying, oh, my mom texted me a picture of us from our first wedding and asked if we were going to be doing a redo anytime soon. So I thought this was a little bit interesting. Juan asked Robin if she still had her wedding dress. And I remember the first maybe one or two episodes of the entire series, Robin is having a filming a scene with Giselle in which they're like looking at the dress and she gives it up for charity. Just really kind of highlighted for me, especially in this scene. Like I, I don't want to take up for one, but I just wonder if he might be unprepared when he's filming these scenes. So Robin then brings up exploring getting a prenup and Juan's reaction at first is like, what the fuck? And then he's like, actually, I don't care. And then he says, I'm going to make more money than you anyway. Right. Um, so the producers ask Robin if that's actually accurate and they try to catch him in a lie. And I honestly, I think Juan just mumbles so that it didn't sound like he was saying, I'm going to make more money than you. And it said instead sounded like I make more money than you, which I think we know is not true at this point. But um, basically, Robin says that by the time they got divorced the first time, the prenup that they had was invalid. Because Juan tries to act like, oh, when I brought a prenup to you the first time, you were kind of like confused. But Robin says the prenup was invalid by the time we got divorced because we were broke anyway. So really was a moot point. And so Robin's like, well, I just feel like it's going to be the easiest thing. You know, last time things did get a little bit more difficult because you were seeing somebody and I just feel like she kind of made things harder. And Robin, Robin, Juan is like, Robin, you need to stop. And this is where I'm like, okay, what's really going on here? Like, should we just be taking what we get out of this situation. And like, is Juan really this guy? I think he kind of might be like, I want to be, doesn't seem like somebody who's really like, I don't want to say alpha beta. He's just got like a, he's like a type B personality, right? Like not type A, which is not a, um, an insult. I'm a type B personality too. Um, but I think like one just, kind of lets life happen to some to him sometimes instead of like actively um like going out there and doing things and i think like in terms of his relationships it might come off as like he's not checked in or whatever and i do think that's true to a certain extent but i also wonder if like juan thinks that, oh we're just gonna be looking at memories from our wedding and here Robin is asking about a prenup on camera and he's like, what the hell's going on? And then she wants to bring up his (laughs) ex-girlfriend and he's like, no, we're really not going to be doing this. So I just like, I wonder like how much of this is like real, real, real one or how much of this is like, oh, I'm on camera and I just don't want to have these difficult conversations. And so like the only way I know how to shut it down is to be like kind of an asshole about it. I don't know. I don't know. But Robin tells Juan, I don't want you to think that, like, I'm just saying this because I've got all these businesses going on, that that's why I want this. And Juan's like, well, that's how it's coming off. 
just so you know. And then he's like, listen, draw something out. I'll sign it. You sign it. I'll sign it. I don't care. And Robin's like, okay, well, you know, if there's anything that you want out of it, let me know. And he's like, Robin, stop. (laughs) Bye. And then he just gets out and walks away. I don't know, you guys. I really like him unsure. I'm really unsure because she seems happy with him. Mm, uh, mm. (laughs) I'm going to think about that. I'll be back next week with more fully formed thoughts about Robin and Juan's relationship dynamic. But um, then we see Wendy going to the doctor because we find out that she, since giving birth to her daughter, Cameron started losing hair. And now it's like getting to the point where she can't uh, hide it anymore. Lo and behold, we, the doctor very quickly determines that it's because Wendy's stressed out and says, you know, when your body is dealing with stress, one of the first things it goes is your hair because it pulls the nutrients from your hair follicles because they feel like, oh, we're in like crisis mode and we don't need it. So Wendy says in a confessional that she's really used to stress, having watched her single mother constantly deal with stress growing up. That's just really all she knows and how the only way she knows how to function, which is really something that she needs to get into because when the doctor was like, yeah, you're stressed out. She's like, I am. It's like, she totally, it totally clicked for her in that moment. But the thing for me is that it didn't seem like she was like, Oh, I need to, take some things off my plate. The doctor was just like, Hey, I can give you some medicine and I will tell you that you might grow a beard. And Wendy's like, Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) No, thank you. I'm going to pass on that. So then Robin invites Mia to lunch just to make sure they're good after the whole cancer, no cancer situation. And Mia says, honestly, like I'm not really as upset with you or the rest of the ladies as I was at Giselle because Y'all came at me very differently than Giselle did. Like, she was real aggressive, frankly. So where Robin loses me is that she keeps asking Mia what's going on and, like, kind of keeps trying to find a hole in this. And like I said, I think the issue is that Mia is an unreliable narrator, and I do think that Mia likes attention. And so can we say that, like, There were some stunt queen behaviors happening on that Instagram post. Absolutely. But where Robin loses me, like I said, is she's like, oh, well, two weeks ago, you said that you were going to get the biopsy and and then you didn't say anything. And that's sketchy. And Mia has to be like, yeah, well, that post was two weeks ago. A lot of time has passed. I've since gotten it done. And here's where we're at. And then Robin's like, so tell me about the lumps then. How are they? And Mia's like, uh, I've got one on my ass that you can look at later if you want. It's still there. <laughs> like, I just feel like we should have let that go at the dance studio. We didn't need to have any additional conversations about this Instagram post. Robin changes the subject to Candace running out of the dance studio the other day and how when they were all in New Jersey, AKA filming the reunion, Chris asked to see Giselle in her room. And Mia's like, well, I think I've got something to add. So basically 
Mia tells a story that at Karen's Celebration of Life taco party, she's like telling Robin, I was dancing and I'm having a good time and I keep noticing Chris in my periphery. And I'm like dancing and he's watching me like a hawk. And I'm like, okay, like, I see you, Chris. (laughs) Y'all. Why did the editors cut to footage of them at that party? Mia's dancing with Ray, having a good time. And yeah, Chris is definitely in her periphery. However, (laughs) the man could not be looking at Mia any less. Like he could, he basically had her back turned to her, his back turned to her. Like if it wasn't 180 degrees, it was like a good 150, a good 150 degrees Chris's body was positioned in the opposite direction away from Mia. And the Chiron (laughs) Chris not looking at Mia because like literally he was not. So then Mia keeps like, like the party's going on. I keep catching him look at me. And then there's more footage of Mia dancing now with her husband. Like in a, you could tell this is like a totally different situation. Again, Chris around but still not looking at Mia. And then <laughs> Mia's like, well, honestly, maybe there are some truths to those pe- those rumors. I'm like, no, there's literally not. <laughs> so then Giselle goes over to Karen's house and I feel like she has not been there since uh, Monique was on the show. Since like after Candace and Monique got in their fight and they had this big conversation about like, whose side they were on and who they were going to be aligning with after that. So I just love Karen and Giselle. I really do. This is like the greatest frenemy ship that we've ever seen on Bravo or any reality TV show. Like I just, I I adore them in a confessional. Karen says, you know, Giselle and I are trying a new path and I'm really excited about it. I don't trust her ass, but you know, so far so good. <laughs> And then Giselle says, Karen's crazy, but she loves me. And I love how Karen loves me, which is a little strange. Do we know, am I like missing, do we have some mommy issues going on with Giselle? Is her mother still with us? I feel like we see her dad more than anything. I really can't remember her mom or if she has a relationship with her. Maybe I'm just blanking on it, but maybe I'm, I was thinking maybe I'm hitting on like some mommy issues and Karen being kind of motherly towards Giselle, which is why she like loves her and hates her. You know, maybe there's maybe there's more to that. So Karen starts this conversation with Giselle in like a true grand dame fashion. She's like, well, Ashley and Mia did share with me that you and Candace had a moment and what I heard was disturbing. And what I heard is that there's a comfort zone that doesn't exist for you with Chris, whereas he thinks that you're more comfortable than you actually are. And I think Chris might owe you an apology. And Giselle's like, thank you. That's all I'm saying. So then we see Candace and Chris go out to lunch with each other. Chris is trying to like pep Candace up because she heard from the doctor that the IVF, like she's not progressing like they would like her to with her IVF treatment right now. And Chris is like, you know, you need to stop stressing. And Candace is like, you're right. And this whole thing with Giselle's really got me stressed out, which is not good for the baby. And I'm kind of pissed off at Giselle because she knows what I'm going through. And like, she's adding all the stress to the situation. Right. And then she asks Chris how he's feeling. 
And he says, at first I was angry because I'm just not the personality. I'm not the type of person to make people uncomfortable. I'm always looking to make people feel comfortable. But then he also says, you can think that you're doing everything right, but you don't know what people's past are like and all of that. And he's like, honestly, what I don't like is the word usage, like luring her or that I was trying to set somebody up. Like, that's what I really have an issue with at this point. And then he says that when I talked to Giselle about, you know, having their I need to talk to you conversation... I'm like 99% sure that it was Giselle who suggested we go back to her room. And then he says when they got to the room, it was empty. So he was like, oh, let's leave the door open. And Giselle was like, yeah, I don't really want any rumors happening if we close the door. So back at Karen's house, Giselle's telling Karen that Chris was the one who actually suggested that they go back to her room. And then she says... I'm uncomfortable in a hotel room with a married man. And now it's his word against mine. And Karen look at her like, wait, 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 wait. How did we get from a conversation into a room to it's your word against his? You and Chris are friends. So did he touch you? Did he say anything that made you feel uncomfortable? And Giselle says no, but she's like, you know, I just, it was just a fact that it was happening. I just remembered not feeling good in that situation and I wanted to leave. So Karen's like, okay, well, did you ask Chris to leave? And she's like, well, I asked him to go check and see if, if they needed me. And he left immediately. And Karen's like, okay, well, there we go. Right? So then... Back at lunch, Chris is telling Candace that maybe Giselle was uncomfortable, but he's never been anything but nice to Giselle. And then he brings up the fact that Giselle actually talks and has spoken about his penis on several occasions. If we're going to be talking about making people uncomfortable. And then we see a montage of uh, Giselle. uh, (laughs) Was it at her house or maybe Robin's house? Uh, they were doing a painting party, but she drew a picture of Chris's penis on the wall. She was talking to Chris at the sports day field day thing that they had about how I can only look at you from the neck up. Cause I'm just thinking about, well, she didn't say I'm thinking about your dick, but I mean, that was implied, but uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think that is an unfair thing to bring up. Like it, it is weird. It is weird. Like I wouldn't be talking about my friend's husband's penis and how I knew the details about it and how I I'm having a hard time looking him in the eye. And I certainly wouldn't be drawing it on a wall or a sheet of paper or even a post-it note. Like, yeah, that is a little extra. That is something that like Giselle might have to answer for. I don't think that's unfair. Is that a hot take? I mean, she has talked about his dick quite a lot. So Karen tells Giselle that the group as a whole really needs to be more comfortable and that a few years ago, she had an incident with a husband who hugged her, but he grabbed her so tight that she says that her boobs went into her backbone. And she tells Giselle, listen, you're justified in your feelings just because if you felt uncomfortable, you're justified. And Karen says in a confessional that in her case with that husband, she was able to go to her minister But she also talked to uh, Ray about it. There were people around when that situation happened. So she just kind of decided to let it go. The guy had a little bit too much to drink and she just didn't feel like it was worth sounding the alarm. 
And she says that was three years ago. So a producer asked Karen if she'll share who the husband was. And she goes, <laughs> no, 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 not doing it. But like, let's be real here. It was Michael. It was Michael. One doesn't go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> we barely see one. Uh, probably wasn't Chris because I feel like if it was, Karen would have brought this up. This would have been an opportunity for her. Um, Maybe it was Chris, but my, my guess is that it was probably Michael or like Chris, uh, Samuels, but just by default, because he's so huge, like any part of my body would, would have gone into my backbone if Chris Samuels had touched me just because he's large, (laughs) Just, just a very large man. Remember how Giselle used to call him big boy and how pissed that used to make Monique. She used to get really pissed off by that. But anyway, um, Karen tells Giselle that, like, maybe she shouldn't have brought this whole Chris situation to the group. And Giselle's like, I'm not the one who brought it to the group. Actually, it was Robin. It was Robin. Robin went to Mia with it. And Karen's like, oh, well, how do you feel about that? Have you had a conversation? And Giselle says, no, we haven't talked about that yet. So her producer asked Karen in a confessional, if she sees any cracks in the friendship between the green eyed bandits and she's like, Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. There's a crack. We all see it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and in that moment, as Candace is about to get a uh, doggy bag for her lobster roll, Robin walks up to the restaurant. When Robin sees Chris, he's like kind of just looking at her, not getting up. She's like, no, don't do that to me, Chris. Like, get up, give me a hug. Like, we're not going to be doing this, which was really like shots fired against Giselle, right? So in a confessional, Robin says that this whole situation is really hard for her because she doesn't think that Chris had really any intention of being sneaky. So Robin tells them the whole story of Ashley bringing up Chris responding to her DM two weeks ago. And like, listen, let's make it clear. Chris, you responded to a story. It's not like you went through the effort of finding her, sliding into her DMs. Like there is a difference. And then Robin says that after the reunion, Giselle actually in the car back to DC had brought up the situation of being in the room with Chris and how Robin just kind of shrugged it off and asked Giselle, like, did anything happen? Because like, did he do anything? Cause like what you're telling me right now doesn't really sound like that big of a deal. And, um, that it sounds like whatever Chris was saying to Giselle, it was just out of concern for Candace. So Chris is like, yeah, exactly. This has been super confusing for me because everything I do is to be nice. And whenever I'm the rest around the rest of you ladies, like I don't mind giving hugs, but I don't initiate them. I wait for you guys to come to me before doing that. Robin does try to help Giselle out by saying, listen, I don't think she was trying to make you seem predatory or anything. And Candace is like, okay, well, that's how Giselle brought it to me, though. Like, that's how she addressed it. She was clutching her pearls and being like, you know, I just feel like Chris is trying to snatch my drawers, which is some bullshit. Because at Karen's Spring Fling Celebration of Life taco event, where was the discomfort with Giselle? And we see a flashback where Giselle, Candace and Chris are walking into the party. Giselle's sitting down, like sitting on a bar stool. She gets up and is like, hey, Chris, gives him a hug and all of that, which... It's fair. I mean, this is like 
the sticky situation with the problem with sticky situations like that is that like there could be a situation where Giselle did feel uncomfortable and then she's around people and they're in public and like, it's totally fine, but she still felt uncomfortable in that moment. But now people are like, well, what about that? What you were totally fine here. And this was after the fact. So like, what's good. And in a way that is unfair to Giselle, because I do feel like to make the record clear, like, you can feel perfectly comfortable one second and then the next second something changes and then maybe the next second something changes back, which as long as you're like not condemning somebody isn't really that big of a deal. But now we're in a situation where you've gone to his wife and other people about feeling uncomfortable, but you're also saying that he didn't do anything. He didn't touch you when you asked him to leave. He did, you know, there's really nothing there except for your feeling, which it's just really complicated. Like she's tells uh, Karen, it was just wrong to me. And if it wasn't wrong, I wouldn't have felt it in my gut, which is something that we all have to pay attention to. So back at lunch with Candace and Chris and Robin, um, they're trying to figure out like why this came up now, AKA why is it coming up now that we're filming? So Robin's like, oh, well, it came up because Ashley had mentioned the DM stuff. And then after that, Giselle kind of like piled onto the situation, right? So Robin asks uh, Candace, how is it that we can fix this? And Candace is like, Giselle needs to walk this back. Like she needs to completely walk this back because right now Giselle is dead to me. Karen asked Giselle how she can, how they can fix it. And she's like, honestly, I don't know because it's been seven days. I thought I would have heard from Candace right now. I thought she would have come to me or called me and said, Hey, I had a conversation with Chris. This is what happened. And so now they're just kind of like in a lock. I mean, listen, we know that Candace to this day still doesn't fuck with Giselle. So this is really going to make for a fascinating season. It really, really is. And it looks like next week we're going to see more of the dynamic between uh, Karen continuously running from Sharice (laughs) and not wanting to be there and faking sick. And I'm here for that. Uh, All right, you guys, let's move on to let's move on to Salt Lake City. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
So I was with Heather last night, and we had a little spritzer. Um, but she was saying that, like, in Arizona, you guys had a falling out, which was very surprising to me, because you guys are, have always yeah. been ride or die for each other. The problem is, is that we got tripped up on details instead of bigger picture. We were all at a jazz game. We all talked about a certain man, and I know who you know I'm talking about. Okay. We were joking that Heather should date him. The rumor was that Lisa had, which Lisa clearly says she hasn't. Like, maybe Heather doesn't remember because there's a lot of, we were drinking. Like We were totally drinking. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember all these details. I know that we did. Right, and I think it's pretty clear I would own it if I remembered it. I just don't. I expect this of Angie. This is what liars do to cover their asses. But I'm not as upset with her because the stakes aren't as high with me and Angie. Like, Heather means more to me. All right, you guys, let's move on to the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So I missed last week. Is there anything that I really want to touch on? I don't think so. Let's get into this week. The first show we see is Jen standing on the streets of New York wearing a two-piece sweater set that says protect your energy. She's on the phone with Coach Shaw talking about how she can't wait to get home. Um... Then we see Lisa pretending to work out with her husband, John, with those like exercise bands. And we did see last week. Did we see actually last week that uh, while everybody was exposing Lisa in Arizona, she actually called John at the table and was like screaming, crying to him about what she was being accused of. Y'all, John Barlow woke up today. He woke up and put a mic pack and sat down on that confessional and he got to work. And he says, listen, no marriage is perfect, but I don't believe these rumors, especially when it's coming from Angie, who lied last year about the caterer stuff. Remember when there was going to be this whole big event and um, the caterers dropped out at the last minute and Angie tried to accuse Lisa of being the one who did it? Um Lisa tells John that Angie H is a pathological liar and she actually gives Whitney a lot of credit for what happened in Arizona because she's always telling uh, Fresh Wolf and Baby Gorgeous that the bad truth is better than a good lie. And Whitney told the bad truth even if it was uncomfortable for her. Speaking of Whitney, she's talking to Justin about meeting up with her brother and sister Wolverine and Tanya Harding, a.k.a. Curtis and Kelly, when she was in Arizona. Now she's still on her healing journey, and she's going to keep working with that energy healer with the terrible bangs. And I didn't say this the other time, but I did look her up and I found her on Facebook, and I just feel like the bangs were a choice based on what I saw. The bangs really seem like a concerted choice on the energy's part. But, you know, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Okay. But she says that in addition to the energy healer, she's going to get a therapist to try to work through her PTSD, overcoming drama, tra- trauma, that sort of thing. Then Whitney starts to talk about how hurt she was by Heather and how if you connect the dots, it all goes back to her not feeling heard as a child and I had, like, got to call time out on this. You know, like, I really, over the years, have tried hard to compartmentalize in terms of, like, not putting my feelings toward a different situation on 
somebody else in another situation, you know? And I feel like that is kind of what Whitney is doing. Like there's a lot of intertwining of her past stuff with what's happening with her life currently. And like two things can be true, you know, like Whitney could have heard this shit from Angie, but also, you know, while Heather was there about Lisa giving blowies for Utah jazz tickets, but it's also entirely possible that heather doesn't remember because whitney straight up was like yeah heather was wasted that night and so maybe she doesn't remember you know um so then what she tells justin what whitney tells justin is i don't think in these moments that heather realizes that i didn't have a voice my entire childhood and i'm like okay well that's exactly why you shouldn't be bad at her you know like she doesn't know She doesn't know about your past. She didn't contribute to the trauma of your past. So, like, to put this stuff on a current situation, it just really isn't fair. Y'all feel me? Anyway, fortunately, Heather films a scene with Angie H., which is perfect, because then we can figure out whether or not we should hate Angie, you know? Um, So Heather tells Angie, she goes over to her house, and... She tells Angie that in Arizona, Whitney came running at her all wild eyed and that she was like demanding that Heather confirm that Whitney, excuse me, that Angie told her that Lisa sucked dick for Utah jazz tickets and how she had never heard that. So Heather is like, Angie, did you ever say that to me at the jazz game? And Angie's like, never. And then Angie has her own uh, confessional that says, I would never have said that because it's a professional business setting for me. I'm really careful about what I say and do in a business environment because I guess her husband, whatever it is that he does, has a courtside suite or courtside seats to the jazz. And so she just never would have said that. And then Angie says in a confessional that she doesn't know why Whitney is calling her a liar or (laughs) sorry. She says, I don't know Whitney to be a liar. But I do know her to be a pot stirrer and paranoid. And listen, I don't know if those rumors are true. But if they are, that guy must be pretty submissive. Because Lisa's really a lot to deal with. <laughs> and then here she's just laughing in her Versace. Just laughing it away. And you know what? I loved Angie. In that moment, I was like, you know what? I really, really like Angie. Not like as a person, like I don't want to be friends with her, but as a rabble rousing friend of. Like I like her in the same way I like uh, like a Faye Resnick, if you will. You know, <laughs> like I don't really need Faye Resnick in my life, but I like that she will occasionally speak up and be like, you know, how, however many Chanel bags you own, you'll never be a classy lady. The God, that was so stupid. And I love Faye Resnick for doing that, for, for sticking her neck out and being an idiot. We need those types of people on the show. So this is a point where Heather invites uh, Angie K to, excuse me, Angie H to a ski trip that she is doing. And this is where, like, I have to get off of Heather's train about this, this Mormon shit. She says the whole reason for the ski trip is that she's inviting her cousins who she's recently reconnected with. um, But now she's nervous about whether or not they're going to be mad at her again because she's writing this book called Bad Mormon. They're still in it. And she's just like very nervous about them taking things the wrong way. Um, I'm just like, 
I don't know. Like, how many journeys with with Heather's family do we have to take? You know, <laughs> like I just I I think I'm over it. I'm over. And also knowing that Heather hasn't even officially left the church. I'm like, oh, well, what are we talking about then? <laughs> like, this might be very big for her. And I, I get that. There's a lot of emotion. But also, I'm like, I just, I think we're good. I think we're good. Like, after the book, Heather, we got to find something else. Anyway, that scene ends with Angie being like classic Faye Resnick. Like, gosh, I can't imagine she would say something like that. I can't imagine Whitney would say something like that. Maybe she was mistaken. But Heather's like, no, no, no. She was not mistaken. She definitely said it. Not only did Whitney say that, she basically told everybody that if we say differently, then we're lying. So can't get out of that one, Angie. Sorry. Then we see Seth and Meredith meet up with Brooks for lunch. Was there literally anything I wanted to say? Oh, Meredith was wearing a uh, brown leather suit set with a brown leather jacket, chocolate brown leather jacket, blazer. But the blazer had a built-in corset in the middle of it. And I've truly just never seen anything like that my, before in my life. Nothing. Never. Um, Brooks comes over. He jokes, I guess. <laughs> With his dad about how he's had a boyfriend for the past two years. And Seth is like, oh, um, has your mom met him? And Brooks is like, I'm just kidding. And I think everybody was like, oh, okay, Brooks. <laughs> so then Seth is like, well, Brooks, what is your, describe your perfect man. And Brooks is like, well, why don't you describe your perfect man to me, dad? And so Seth reveals that his perfect man is Brett Favre. Brett Favre, who is currently in the midst of a complete shitstorm because apparently he diverted funds from people in Mississippi who like genuinely need it to the college that his daughter's going to so that they could build a new like volleyball court or something like very depraved, dumb underhanded shit that Brett Favre is currently being involved with. And between this, man crush on Brett Favre and the the Reagan shirt that he was wearing at the 80s party like Seth you you gotta let it go you know I'm gonna need this man to read one newspaper article and see what else is out there (laughs) Seth we cannot trust Seth with any sort of decision making and that's very clear that's very clear Meredith decides to have a fundraiser for her nephew who had mental health struggles last year Anyway, um, Jen is back. She's talking to Coach Shaw back at the home to download him on what happened in her whirlwind trip to New York. <clears throat> Girl, I just bust out laughing at her confessional look. Like, how am I? How is the viewing audience? How is the Southern District of New York supposed to be taking this woman seriously? When she's talking about doing mock trials in an outfit that literally looks like Natasha of Boris and Natasha. Like, this bitch dresses like Roger Stone. You know? Like, do you guys know how Roger Stone dresses like an absolute uh, villain from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Like, he looks, Jen looks like his wife. And I just feel like if you really want to separate yourself from the narrative that you might be a fraudster, a scammer, a crook, that maybe you wouldn't dress exactly like one from the 1940s. <laughs> like, honestly, this bitch has six 
diamond necklaces on. You can't even see her neck. She's got a hat sideways. Like Bonnie, whatever Bonnie's last name, Bonnie and Clyde. And I just like, I cannot, I can't. Like, I don't understand how Jen's mind works. Like, I understand that there's a lot of talk about manifesting and, you know, uh, fantasizing about the life that you want. And I know that when she closes her eyes, she's fantasizing about not being in a federal prison. But, baby, like, let's just, like, think for maybe more than five seconds about her outfit choices. She is so wild. When the... the District of New York has a 98% federal prosecution rate. I just don't know if ask, believe, receive is going to work. You know, I, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out in what, December? I guess we will. Sharif tries to get Jen to do this soul gazing exercise that they learned from their therapist. But, you know, you're supposed to just where the words fail, let the emotions come through. But Jen ca- can't stop laughing. Honestly, she probably should have taken that exercise a little bit more seriously because you know that once you guys have your meetings, um, you're just sitting at a table. They're not going to let you touch. No touching. No touching. So really, she should have taken that more seriously because that that really could come in clutch in the future. Anyway, Jen says that she's really frustrated because she's been in the mindset and gearing up for the fact that they were about to go to trial like in a couple weeks after she got back from New York. But then they, since then they, when she was there in New York, they decided to postpone the trial until July. Now she's like super frustrated. She's like, I've been not sleeping. I've been racking my brain about all of this stuff. And I just want to move on. I really just want to move on with my life. So coach Shaw says in a confessional that God didn't just give this burden to Jen. He gave it to the both of them. And he himself has a lot of things to learn about this whole situation. Um, He might not understand everything right now, but right now he just needs to be present. (sighs) Coach Shaw tells Jen, listen, you can't force anything to happen. All you can do is control how you react to the situation. And that's about it. (laughs) Then we see Lisa call her brother, Brian. She gets on a FaceTime, but before she he like answers the FaceTime, she just poses in her camera real quick. <laughs> Lisa is so interesting to me. She's so interesting. So she talks about growing up. She's got five siblings. Uh, Brian's the only brother. And she tells a heartwarming story about how when she was a freshman in high school, Brian and his friends duct taped her to a pole that was in the foyer of the high school and how she just had to sit there because nobody wanted to help her. (laughs) What happened in Lisa's childhood? You know, like what what happened there? Basically this whole scene was uh, Lisa calling her brother to cry about how sad she is that they're the only two that are still married out of the siblings and that her oldest sister and I guess one of the other ones are dealing with marriage or the the dissolution of their marriage. And like, 
how she needs her brother to come visit her because she's upset because other members of their family are getting divorced. That's what I took from the situation. Didn't make sense, but really nothing that Lisa does makes a whole lot of sense to me. When she hangs up with her brother, she talks to John about how there are all these sad things happening, the stuff with the girls or stuff with her family. And she's just feeling very out of control. So she feels like John, we got to have more one-on-one time because like things just aren't going well. And I just like want to get back on track. And then she like really starts to cry in a confessional when she's talking about how uh, her family and John and baby gorgeous and fresh wolf are the only things that really matter to her. And even though her relationship and her marriage is really strong right now, she just doesn't need anything to come for it. So then we go back to Whitney's house. She's getting her letter notarized her, uh, you know, the quitmormon.com letter notarized by her friend Lorraine so that she can officially send it in and leave the Mormon church. Though come to find out this is actually the third time that Whitney has tried to leave the church. So let's get into it. So the first time is when she was married to her ex-husband, but cheating with uh, having an affair with Justin. So she says that she went to the council and she was trying to leave. She was going through this like repentance process in which she tells the council that she had cheated on her husband and that she also wanted to leave the church. So they made her tell them everything down to the details of how she was cheating, where she was doing it. And then they loop the ex-husband into the whole situation. So after she tells them everything, like Scientology style, they bring the ex-husband back in and they're like, well, Whitney, um, if you just go to the temple tomorrow, then everything will be forgiven. And that was the moment for her where she was like, okay, this is bullshit. So Lorraine is hearing Whitney tell this story and her response is, wow, for reals? (laughs) And Whitney goes, yeah, for reals. So then Whitney talks about part two and how like manipulated and gross she felt and how, uh, so she goes to them to try to leave after she gets divorced from her ex, but they wouldn't let her leave the church because he was, she was still sealed to him. Basically it comes down to they were protecting the men and not her. And so she couldn't leave the church because it was going to look bad on her husband. And so they tried to force her to stay. And then Whitney talks about in a confessional, you know, Justin was cheating on his wife with me and the situations were totally different. Like Justin got excommunicated. It was super clean and that was it. Whereas Whitney had to go before these councils of men to make decisions as to whether or not she was going to be in the church still. So now it's time for Heather's ski day. We meet a couple of her cousins and we meet Dana, who I think is supposed to be a friend of later down the line. So Lisa and Whitney pull up to the event together. And as soon as (laughs) uh, Lisa gets eyes on Angie, she's like, what is she doing here? Piss. So in a confessional, a producer asked Lisa if she has any intention of saying hi to Angie. And she's like, are these real questions? So then all the ladies are like saying hey to each other. Lisa and Angie hug. But in a confessional, Lisa's like, this hug is about as fake as everything else about Angie. Why are you fucking hugging me? You fucking lied about me to damage me and my family. You could have hurt my business. 
why are you here? And then she says about Heather, she's like, we just got into a good place. Why would you invite somebody who's trying to destroy me? Jen, light as ever, uh, shows up in a houndstooth snowsuit and a Louis Vuitton duffel bag full of booze and says, listen, I'm from Hawaii. I'm like Moana. I'm, she's the queen of the ocean, but here I am on the snow and I'm just doing the best I can. I've been so much better since two years ago when I didn't know. You, you want a pizza? You want some French fries? I got you. I got it. <laughs> so then Lisa says that she's really not into like winter stuff, that her version of being outdoors is a lot like mine, frankly. Um, on the beach, in a cabana, we can get food service, beverage service. Somebody to bring me a fresh towel every hour. I'm not sure why it's coming every hour, but I'll take it. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So Jen brings up how Angie K is also there. But then she's like, oh, but I first saw Angie H. And uh, Dana is talking to Lisa. And it's like, well, you guys have been friends for like 20 years. Like, how do you feel about ending a relationship with Angie? And Lisa's like, fine. <laughs> like Angie's Heather and Whitney's friend I'm uninterested frankly but now I'm kind of questioning Heather a little bit because Heather and I have been working on our friendship and she knew that Angie was talking shit about me so why would she have invited her to this once again so the ladies go skiing and snowboarding and then they all meet down for opera ski and just a lot of gratuitous long close-up shots of a charcuterie board like Honey, I've seen cured meats next to raspberries before. I got it. We get it. We get it. Um, so <laughs> uh, the ladies are telling, uh, they're talking to Jen. Jen tells them, oh, you know, my trial got pitched back to July. And Solis is like, all right, girl, trip to the Hamptons. I get the house. So they're all like laughing and having a kiki there. And Whitney's just standing like, are y'all okay? She says in a confessional, I don't understand why everybody's laughing at this. Like it literally is just more a time that's going by where Jen doesn't know what the outcome is. Is she thinking about the prosecution? Like what if they're being gathering more witnesses this whole time? This could be really bad for Jen. Is anybody thinking about this? <laughs> so then Whitney and Angie have a conversation. Whitney reminds her that, you know, we talked about this guy that may or not, have been uh, blowed upon by Lisa and she tries to remind Angie the whole reason why we got on this conversation was because we saw him and we're like, Oh, let's hook Heather up with this guy. Right. And then it was brought up that Lisa had actually hooked up with him. So Angie says, I don't remember all of those details, but you know, Whitney, that I would admit to it if I did. But Whitney says in a confessional, this is what liars do. They try to cover their ass, but I'm just not as up upset with Angie because the stakes aren't as high because Heather means more to me. <laughs> so then Heather asked Jen, like, what was the conversation with the ladies while I was skiing? What happened down at the bunny slope? Right. And Jen's like, girl, why did you invite Angie? Like Lisa's really feeling like you guys were in a good place. And then you invited her. And Heather's like, yeah, I, I could see that. I could definitely see why she would be mad about that. Honestly, I thought I was just going to be bringing all the girls together. Didn't even consider it. So Heather tells Lisa that 
honestly, I really wasn't thinking about you. <laughs> to be honest with you, I was not thinking about you or your feelings at all when I invited people and made this guest list. And Lisa, I'm really sorry. I'm real sorry for that. Lisa says in a confessional that it actually might be worse that Heather didn't consider her at all than the fact that she invited Angie. So after Heather and Lisa have their conversation, Angie tries to get to Lisa over for a talk, but Lisa's like, yeah, I'm just not really interested in hearing more lies. <laughs> so Angie's like, what are the lies, Lisa? And she's like, I'm just not really interested. Like, there's just so many. There's just too many to count. Like, I'm not interested. Sorry. Sorry, I'm just not interested. And she goes over to some table and she's like, I didn't invite her. <laughs> So the episode ends with Whitney and Heather having their one-on-one conversation. Whitney is able to admit that she feels like their fight ultimately was over the details. And she remembers very clearly talking to Heather about Lisa. And Heather's like, yeah, but we always... (laughs) This is what makes this this fight so funny. Because (laughs) first of all, Heather's like... Yeah, if I had known that, I would have been spreading that shit and telling everybody, Whitney, but I don't remember. So now she's saying, listen, we've been talking shit about Lisa for a long time, but I don't really remember those specific rumors. And I just felt like you kind of were charging at me and you were looking at me for to corroborate. And if I could, I wouldn't have even flinched to corroborate that story with you. And so Whitney says, well, I wasn't looking for you to corroborate. I was just looking for you to have my back. And I don't want you to corroborate if you don't remember, but I remember. So we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Heather says in a confessional that agree to disagree to her just means like, I'm going to let you go on this crazy journey and I'll be waiting for you when you come back because there is no disagreement. Whitney's just wrong. (laughs) I mean, in this moment, like Whitney is like, she had it, she had me in the first half, but then she lost me. It's like, yeah, there are, you guys do have to agree to disagree about whether or not you guys heard this shit, but like, you don't care about Heather corroborating the story. You just wanted her to have your back, which to me just means like, you just wanted her to blindly agree with you even if she didn't know it was true which is literally much worse (laughs) by perpetuating a lie in the interest of like bad weather friendship it doesn't make sense Whitney that's actually like a lot worse than just than than saying that like yeah I actually did can, can confirm that I also heard that Then Whitney tells Heather that there was something else that happened on that trip that actually hurt her a lot more. And that it was when Heather took Whitney's pain and weaponized it against her. So last week, Heather was kind of like popped off on Whitney and was like, yo, you're making this shit, this trip all about you when it was supposed to be about Jen. And Whitney says in a confessional that she just feels like Heather is not being sincere and that she has not given a specific sorry to her. And that Heather's like the biggest woe is me kind of person herself. And then Whitney says that she's just going to have to try and get past this, but her immediate reaction is to put walls up and not trust Heather. So I guess we'll see whether or not they're able to uh, reconcile, but I don't think they are. (laughs) They were really going at it at BravoCon, like on the stage and 
Heather seemed put like a little bit off guard and was like, I, Whitney, I thought we made up. Like, what is all this energy for? But I, gosh, watch what happens. Watch what happens. I got to say, I'm still kind of team Heather on this because she's allowed to have not heard that. And she doesn't have to have your back blindly. And if that's like the uh, rule for how you guys are going to be friends, then I guess you guys aren't going to be friends anymore. So sorry, girl. Sorry. Anyway, let's move on to the end of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, baby, you wanted it on camera. You did because it to me. your contract was coming up. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and you needed some oh drama because I don't you need any fight drama. with you know everybody. What, Kathy, I don't need any drama. You fought and you drove you know Lisa what? Vanderpump off the show. I drove Lisa Vanderpump off the show. Okay. What you did to my sister? They will know. never. Everybody will near know. my husband. Everybody oh, will know. You've had problems with everybody, with Camille Grammer. I mean, the list can go on and on. And then saying that you've been bullied, you are the biggest bully in Hollywood. And everyone knows it. You guys, we did it. We're here at the end of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills season, whatever the fuck this is. (sighs) Don't you guys feel like a big weight off of your shoulders? (laughs) I really do. I feel free. I feel light. Um, I don't know, like, like my breasts don't feel so heavy. My shoulders are back. You know, my, my spine is straight. I'm just like, I'm excited. Like a kid on the last week of school where I'm like thinking about how the year was fucking stupid and I didn't like it. But it's over. And now I can just spend my days watching. I Finally, I can watch Love is Blind. Okay, you guys have been asking, am I going to be covering Love is Blind? Yes. I've already got Rachel and Desi of Hollywood crime scene. They're waiting for the end of the season. We will be talking about it. Probably on Patreon, but maybe I'll give a free feed a little teaser like we did last season. But now it's like, I'm just so excited because as soon as I'm done recapping this, I can start watching Love is Blind and I can figure out who the fuck Cole is and why you're talking about that. And um, my best friend has been texting me about somebody wanting to put babies in people. And like, I need to know. I've like not had FOMO like this in such a long time. So let's get into this. So I can be happy <laughs> and do something else. But actually, I did think for a final part of a reunion, actually pretty good. Do I want to talk about most of it? No. Obviously, I want to talk about the last like 30 minutes. But, you know, we can breeze through uh, this first half. Pretty good. Pretty good. The first clip was really just about the single women dating. Erica, you know, puts a joke about how she fucked somebody the night before the reunion. And it's just really nice to be with somebody who can stay hard all the time. And I don't know. Somebody, I wish I could think of who 
tweeted that Erica talks about sex like a virgin. And I think that's right. And I have been telling you guys, I've been watching season three of uh, 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 Summer House and it's the Jordan season where he's talking about how he, uh, you know, kicked a girl off of his bunk bed when she tried to eat his ass, how he made out with several women, yet nobody saw it, uh, how he once tried to hire a sex worker. Again, nobody saw it. Um, and it was just really giving virgin. And that's kind of what's happening with Erica. Like, what's what's really going on here? I also just, like, don't care, you know? I don't care. <laughs> I just, I don't care about Erica. Like, I just don't think there's a whole lot. There is a whole lot there there. It's just all nasty and rotten. And so, pew, pew. No, thank you. Yucky. So, speaking of Erica, we get to her package about how... She partied a lot, I guess. And she also was verbally abusive towards Jax. Um, Erica claims to have been numbing her pain this whole time. And then Andy asked Garcella how she felt about Erica's drinking since she had been kind of the one to bring it up during the season. Garcella says, honestly, I didn't really even say anything until the situation with my son. And she talks about how she watched the episode back and she was like disgusted. And she asked the question to Erica out of everybody at that party. Why Jax? Why didn't you say that to PK Mo, another grown up? Like, why would it be Jax? Erica says it could have been anybody. It wasn't like she was coming from a place of anger. It was just a irresponsible place. And then Garcelle brings up the fact that Dorit, who was there in the moment, didn't say anything other than, Oh, that's his mama. Uh. And then Kyle, excuse me, Andy turns to Kyle and says, you and Dorit and your husbands laughed about what happened to Jax, which frankly was unsettling to watch. Ugh. The like wave of anger that rushed over me when I saw Mauricio being like, oh, um, I'm glad she did it. Like, I think it's great. Fuck him. You know, fuck him forever. Honestly, fuck him. And I hope whatever mistress you're banging gets on TikTok real quick. Okay. I said it. Let it, let it, let it out, girl. Get some tips from the Sumner chick. Mention it all. Okay. And I said it. All right. I said it. And you know what? I'm going to be especially mean to Kyle. Thank you to the person who gave me a one-star review last week because I said that Kyle's clip package was fluff. And I didn't say that about Garcelle. Like, are you okay? That's such a weird thing to Like, I I can't even be mad about that. It's just weird. So now I'm going to be petty and I'm going to be even more mean to Kyle because she deserves it. So you're welcome. So Garcelle, Queen Garcelle tells that troll Kyle, I'm really not sure what about that whole situation would have been funny to you. Because um, Kyle was like, well, I wasn't there just like you weren't Garcelle, which like, fuck you. She always, it's that she puts shit like that. These little side comments, like, you weren't there either. What does it matter? What she said was enough. And no part of that was funny, whether you saw it or not. You know? Thank you, Garcelle. And she's like, yeah, I was I was just horrified that. Mauricio was horrified that, too. Like, that's my bad. Not I'm sorry. Not I'm ashamed. It's my bad. Just like, whatever. And then Garcelle brings up uh, an excellent point at, hello, had this been Kyle's kid? It would have been 
15 seasons of of her husky little tears and going off on people and trying to figure out what happened and she would have been the victim to that but garcelle has to let this shit go because like she tells andy um you know, these people, these women, some of the women in this group have a tendency to just be like, oh, I owned it. I'm sorry, whatever. And then if you keep going on about it, you end up looking like a crazy person. So she says, like, in terms of Erica's apology, she clearly didn't think it was genuine, but she was like, I'm between a rock and a hard place. So I have to accept it, even though I have to imagine Garcelle is still really fucking pissed and she has all the right to be. And shout out to Garcelle when Kyle was like, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a mom first. And Garcelle's like, yeah, to your kid, but not to mine. <laughs> like, we know the the asterisks at the end of that sentence, lady. Doree claims like she felt like she was being stabbed in the stomach <laughs> when she heard what Erica said. Like, girl, come on. Um, so Garcelle's like, did you have an out about an experience, Doree? Like, what happened? Doree claims that they went out she went out with erica later that night and she was really like erica what the fuck are you doing like that really wasn't okay <laughs> okay dorit garcelle says okay but what erica did was wrong and erica's like well yeah i mean i i said i was wrong like we've been over this a thousand times i don't really feel the need to say it again <sighs> these people are such bullshit somehow uh, we just gloss over another responsibility of these women. By the way, um, Andy did say on his show, so I guess you have to subscribe to uh, Radio Andy XM to have heard what he said, but um, he talked about Garcelle and how he was joking with Lisa and Erica about their uh, recycling when they should have really been talking about how rude it is for uh, the cast to have a group chat with Art Garcelle, which they're like making fun of her and her book and like throwing it in the trash and sending each other videos and kikiing about it. You know, um, he didn't, I felt he was like rather vague, rather like blanket statement. Like I hear you guys and I've spoken to her to Garcelle about it. And we had a real conversation and like, I understand what I did wrong. That, I mean, that was basically 80% of what he said. <laughs> I don't know. He keeps doing it. And you know, this will obviously be a lesson for him because people were coming for Andy in droves to the point where his name was trending like days after Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So, you know, it's like a difficult situation because when you speak out after such a backlash, most of the people are just going to think that you only spoke out because of the backlash, which was probably true, you know? Would he have said it if people were only going on about it like the night after the reunion and not Five nights after the reunion? I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. But I do feel like it's kind of a cop-out to say it on your radio show and not the network in which the situation happened, you know? Like, people always say, if you fuck me over in public, you also need to give me a public apology. Or if you do it in private, you also owe me a private apology. Like, I think the same could be true of that. It just felt very, like, eh, passive. But what really matters is whether or not Garcelle feels okay. We got to take ourselves out of it. 
Okay, so back to Erica. Um, her one of her dozens probably lawsuits got dropped. Uh, she was like, "Do you guys want to hear the statement?" No. Okay. Well, I'm gonna read it anyway. So she read it. I'm not gonna reread it. It it got dropped. Okay. It basically was like, um, you know, there was no evidence of any participation of wrongdoing on Erica's part. Great. Great. I'm glad I'm glad one of those lawsuits are out of the way for you. So Andy brings up the fact that Tom had recently been ordered to pay $2.3 million and 10% back from another situation. And Andy says, if that's the case, can we really say that there are no victims in this like whole Tom situation? Right. Erica's like, well, not on my part. So then we get to how the women reacted to Erica saying she doesn't give a fuck about anybody but herself. And she uses the line that I use a lot. And it's like, damn, girl, you really want to be me, right? But she says, you know, I'm in a sticky situation and you have to put the mask on yourself when the plane's going down before you can help other people. So she's trying to help herself before she can help anybody else. And Dorit stops her and says, yeah, but like, even if you had said that at the time, that would have been a lot better than what you said that night. So then Erica starts to talk about how she, you know, her behavior has been discussed all season and she's been disgusted with herself. And Andy's like, you have? And Erica's like, of course I have. And here's what the disconnect is for Erica is that I feel like she's expecting everybody to look past her tough exterior and the horrendous things that come out of her mouth and read between the lines and gauge that she actually is like a sensitive being with all these emotions. But like, dog, I don't care about anybody but myself is a pretty big statement. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's like she's annoyed that people don't see this interior that she never shows to people and it's an odd expectation so then andy says that he wants to touch on the conversation that erica had with dr jen her therapist her television therapist anyway and you know how she said that she felt like she was getting to be mean and hateful and erica clarifies meaner and more hateful and andy's like okay that's what i was wondering like don't you think you've already crossed the threshold (laughs) And then Andy asks everybody on the stage if they feel like Erica's her worst enemy in terms of her defense. And Kyle's like, absolutely. I thought when she said that day after Aspen, like, I thought she was going to apologize or say that she regretted what she said, but she didn't. And that's why I got so upset. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense, Kyle. <laughs> because you got up. Never mind. Um, Kyle. I'm team Kathy. Spoiler alert. We'll just get to that in a second. Um, Erica says, Kyle, you and I have been friends for a long time. And I just needed you to be more neutral in that moment. This is really where I had to stand with Kyle. Because Kyle's like, girl, I've been neutral. And I got to the point where I could not do that any longer with the way that you were speaking. So Erica tries to act like Kyle's reaction wasn't normal. Girl, what? <laughs> Kyle finally says it all. I was like, do you understand, Erica, how much heat the rest of us have gotten for being defensive of you? And you could tell that really cut Erica to the core. But it's like, girl, 
like sometimes you gotta hear that shit like people are really coming after Dorit, Kyle, Lisa for continuing to be your friend and act like everything's cool and now you want to act like you don't understand that they've had to take a bunch of L's on behalf of you like you might not want to hear it but that's the truth then Dorit tells Erica like why can't you just try to show some empathy while the whole process plays out and Erica says I've been doing that and Andy goes well it's not landing which you know is an unfortunate word choice, I will say. Erica says what isn't landing is her being ruthlessly berated for the past two years. And maybe the Dalai Lama can handle it, but Erica can't. Then we get to the earrings and Erica gave them up, but she's, um, in her words, they're on appeal for legal reasons. And so Andy's like, okay, so you're fighting to get them back. We're on appeal for legal reasons. Well, I think we're saying the same thing, Erica. We are, but we're not. I'm on appeal for legal reasons. <laughs> and so Andy's like, okay, well, um, you know, I'm just thinking about somebody else who kind of lost it all and at the hands of her husband. And that was Ruth Madoff. Erica, do you ever think about her? <laughs> what? <laughs> And Erica just has to sit there and be like, um, no, I don't ever think about Ruth Madoff. <laughs> like, who came up with that question? It's iconic. That's like the funniest question that Annie's ever asked. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of which, I didn't know. I never really paid too much attention to the Bernie Madoff of it all. So I didn't know that there were so many celebrities that actually lost a bunch of money. I guess somebody tried to interview Kevin Bacon about it recently. And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't really think people want to hear a story about how I lost millions of dollars. <laughs> he gets it. I think I like Kevin Bacon. The moral of the story is Mer Kevin Bacon is America's sweetheart. Anyway, let's move on. Um, meanwhile, Kathy's backstage. She's in her room. Picking out which Givenchy shoe she should wear and telling her glam that Paris basically invented the like Barbie core aesthetic and how she's she really did it because she's been throwing Barbie themed birthday parties from the time that Paris was little up until she was 35 years old. Amen. So she walks out and onto the set saying hi to the girls Lisa and Erica are sitting there acting like they don't see her like she's fucking Casper, the Hilton ghost. And finally, she sits down and she goes, hi, girls, <laughs> like directly at Lisa and Erica. And I thought, you know what? This is the kind of white woman carrying on that I love. Let's get ready to rumble. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Kathleen Elizabeth. Avanzino Hilton. Okay, let's do it. So Andy's first question to Kathy is whether or not she's learned to contact her husband, Rick, directly and not via a public Instagram comment as she was doing in Aspen when she went to his uh, page to say, uh, pick me up, please. <laughs> so Kathy's like, yeah, actually, I did learn how to actually text him and yeah i mean yeah i did comment on his instagram but then i did what lisa renna does and i took it off 20 minutes later <laughs> oh like 
keep going. Encore, encore. <laughs> then Andy plays the Aspen clip package. They're showing the part where Lisa says in a confessional that Kathy was going to destroy her family if it was the last thing she ever does. And then they show a picture in picture of Kathy watching this clip package. And she like turns to Lisa and goes, you want to swear on your life on that one? Huh? And Lisa's just staring at her. So Andy first wants to discuss Lisa Rinna's good friend, Kendall Jenner's 818 tequila. Shout out to reality tape, reality TV babe zero zero for asking, riddle me this. Why can't Kathy promote her tequila? We've heard about Rinna's lips, the wine, Dorit's swim and bridal wear, Kyle's stores, Asher's music, Erica singing, the airline, (laughs) the list could go on and on. Why did the airline have to be included? <laughs> the widows and victims are like, now why am I in it? See how I got thrown into stuff? I ain't even did nothing. I think we could have edited that one out. Reality TV, babe. But anyway, she goes on with, uh, were you guys too tough on Kathy about the tequila? So Kathy's defense was that she didn't think that all the other times that she brought up the tequila on the show, we're actually going to make it to the show because it was just like these moments where the camera really wasn't directly on her. And we see many scenes where the camera really isn't directly on her. It's like they're doing just right, you know, I don't know. You're filming an event and they're probably filming a lot of things and like certain things, you know, make it to air and certain things don't. So you really never know, right? Which I think is what she was saying. And then she says that when they got to, you know, Kumosabi or Kibasabi, Kyle, Kyle keeps having to correct her. It's Kimosabi. It's Kimosabi. Okay. <laughs> so Kathy says that by the time they got to Kumosabi, she looked behind the bar and saw four bottles of uh, Casa del Sol, her tequila, behind the bar. So she thought, oh, maybe Kyle had set this up. For me and I could like really this will be my time to shine so Andy asked Kathy if she was pissed off about the 818 and Lisa ordering it and Kathy says no she actually wasn't really mad at Lisa she was more mad at Kyle but then she was like you know I realized that I was like kind of embarrassed because I had set up in my head all these expectations and I ended up getting disappointed So Lisa and Kathy are actually seemingly in agreement that Lisa wasn't trying to be underhanded by ordering that tequila, which makes Kyle start to cry and be like, oh, so so this is all my fault then. So here we are with the husky tears and I didn't do anything and it's all my always my fault. So Kathy (laughs) tells Kyle, stop crying. You know, (laughs) she was trying to explain how she felt in the moment. And Kyle, I've already apologized to you. I'm just like, we're at a reunion. So I have to talk about my feelings since I haven't gotten to. But okay, this is about you being a victim. Sure. Now I'm going to flex like a very small astrology muscle. And I could be wrong here. However, Kathy is a Pisces, just like I am, which is actually, side note, extremely rare in the Bravo universe. Basically, every Pisces that's been on Bravo is now gone. Your Kristen Doty, uh, your Deandra, um, a couple more I can't think of, but mostly they're, I think they're all gone. Cynthia, I think, think pretty much all of them are gone. Um, but I think as a Pisces, 
we have an ability to like tap into our emotions. And I think those emotions also like get projected onto people. Not like we're projecting emotions in an unfair way. Like I think people like we feel our emotions outward and it like other people can feel that. Right. So Kyle, I think feels like Kathy's being like overly dramatic because she's able to tap into her emotions from a time long ago, but that's like very frustrating and confusing to Kyle. Kyle's a Capricorn, but she's close to being an Aquarius, which I think is uh, also important because sorry, Aquarius, I'm going to have to tell you guys again, real, real, not great with the emotions. Very compartmentalization. <laughs> a lot of compartmentalization happening. <laughs> um, so that's just my little estimation. So, you know, <sighs> Kathy and I have a lot in common. And honestly, finding out that she was a Pisces really um, did not help in terms of my bias towards her. <laughs> I, I will admit that. Not going to be fair to her. But I'm also going to really try to be fair to her because I think... I don't know. Like, I came out of this, like, I think a lot of people did not really being too mad at Kathy. Sorry, Rena. <laughs> but about Lisa ordering the 818, she was like, yeah, I mean, I did talk shit about her. I was annoyed. But I didn't think that Lisa was doing this to intentionally poke at me. I just thought she was being a bitch. So <laughs> then Andy gets to the final night in Aspen and asks Kathy, what was it that sent you over the edge? Excuse me. Kathy explains her side of the story, which is they're at that club, Caribou Lounge or whatever, Caribou Coffee, and Kathy wants everybody to have fun. So she goes over to the DJ to ask if he'll play some songs. But according to her, the DJ had his head down, uh, headphones on, wasn't paying attention to her. So she went over to somebody else, I think the manager, and said, hey, if I grease your palms a little bit, a little cashola, uh, do you guys think you can play some songs for me and my friends. But the guy was like, nah, it's like too busy, not tonight. So then Kathy uh, takes a turn for me. She goes from K Kathy to Karen and says that she told this guy, listen, I'm not a member of your club, which to me would be like, okay, so anything you say after that is like, I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to give credit to the manager at that. I'm not a member of this club, but I've been here on and off for decades and, you know, it's never been a problem. And then Kathy's like, I think that may have annoyed him. <laughs> so he hit her with the okie doke and was like, oh, where are you from? Because she also said, I've been to your club in Paris and London, here, there and everywhere. Right. So he was like, oh, OK, where are you from? And when she said Los Angeles, he goes, well, you should probably go back there. So at this point, Kathy's pissed. She's like, fuck it. We're out of here. She tries to go up to Kyle to explain what happened, but Kyle wanted to stay. Kyle's defense for this was that, Kathy, it's just the way you speak to me. Like, you came up to me. You didn't say, oh, this guy just hurt me and I'm embarrassed. You're just like, we're out of here with your clenched teeth. And everybody saw how you were treating me. And you were like, we need to leave right now. And I was just kind of like, hold on a minute, Kathy. I'm an adult. You can't talk to me like that. And just expect me to be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, Kyle. Like, I, I don't get it. I'm not getting it. Because, again, like, I was thinking the first time, okay, if I'm in the club with my sister and she's pissed off, I'm going to ask you what happened, but I'm going to get my shit and go. And so... If 
my sister, as she's telling it, is like really pissed off and is like, we need to get out of here. I wouldn't take that as an attack towards me and like her trying to embarrass me if she's just like, we're leaving. <laughs> right? Like, am I wrong? On that? Like, I don't really understand how this turns Kyle into a victim because Kathy was yelling in her face, like, we're fucking leaving. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's as bad as like grabbing somebody by the arm and telling them that they didn't have two miscarriages. <clears throat> Not that bad. Anyway, um, she puts her head down and lifts it back up. And (laughs) this is Erica, by the way. She's doing the monologue, like lip syncing for her life. She puts her head down, puts it back up, and she talks about what she saw. She goes, points off into the distance. It goes, you know, I see Kathy coming from the dance floor. She's very upset. And I said, Kathy, what's wrong? And she said, the DJ's an old fucking F word and walked off. That's what happened. (laughs) So we're just gonna say the F word like that? Okay. I mean, I know this is a direct quote, but like, could we just say the F word, girl? (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Yikes. Also, uh, why are we only bringing this up at the reunion? It's giving opportunist it's giving not an ally it's giving weaponizing shit for your own personal gain but okay erica okay so kathy just stares at erica for a beat and she goes i'll admit to what i do but i'm not going to be painted as a monster and erica says well that's what you said and kathy says never even never ever well well, I'm just telling you. Nobody else heard that. <laughs> it's like, so what what words were those, Kathy? I did you say it? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Seems like you said it. Kathy, did you say that? Yikes, girl. And I thought Miss Erica was like sounding the alarm about I have nothing to lose. And, you know, I'm not going to be protecting people anymore and blah, blah, blah. So why did you wait until now to say it? Why haven't you been talking about this the whole time? That's very strange. (sighs) 
So at that point, Kathy says, anybody who knows me knows I don't talk like that. And Erica says, well, everybody who knows me knows that I have nothing to lie about. And so Kathy goes, oh, really? I have a little bit more credibility than you because I don't lie and I have a sterling reputation. And Erica says, not right now you don't. <laughs> Andy does chime in to say that there was an HR investigation into this claim and it basically went down to a case of she said, she said, inconclusive, right? So Kathy says, well, don't you think it's interesting that nothing came out about Erica with her big $250,000 Cartier ring going around with her big crocodile bag and your fur coat? Those aren't yours. Those aren't your belongings. <laughs> Erica says, how do you know that? I've had those things for over 20 years. And Kathy says, everybody knows that. And you have no remorse at all. <laughs> So Erica says, wow, look at you. You trying to save yourself? And then Kathy takes a big swig out of her crystal geyser water bottle and says, I'm just saying. But Kyle also interrupts this whole situation to say, just to be clear, she never heard Kyle or Kathy say the F word. Erica, like I said, said earlier that she was the only person who heard it. So then how did it end up in the tabloids? How'd that happen, Erica? See, Andy, why didn't we ask that question? If you're saying you're the only person who heard it, then who told? Hello? So then it's revealed that Crystal was actually going to be leaving with Kathy and Lisa, but there was some holdup with her coat or something. She didn't go. Whatever. Lisa says that Kathy's meltdown started once they got into the Sprinter van, and Kathy was screaming and yelling and venting and saying things that she had never heard in her life. And it's shit like this, Rena. Like, nobody gives a fuck what you say after that because that's so not true. Like, girl, you've said worse things and we've all seen it. She's such a hypocrite. Kathy says, I do recall venting and thinking, we've known each other. Me and you, Lisa, have known each other a long time and this isn't being filmed. And I just felt like I could talk to you. And, you know, Halfway through it, do you recall saying to me, Lisa, I get it. I get it. You're preaching to the choir. Do you remember those words? So Lisa just kind of sits there and she's like, um, no, I don't. Not exactly. I don't remember those words, but I do remember I want to take down NBC, Bravo, Evolution, everybody on the show. And then Lisa tries to say something more about what Kathy said about Kyle. But Kathy keeps interrupting her and saying, that's not true. That's not true. Andy then breaks down what Lisa said, Kathy said, about like Dorit being stupid and how Crystal and Sutton were pieces of shit and should be fired. I can't believe I have to be around these peons, etc. All the hits, right? Kathy starts talking over Andy and's like, Lisa, I'm going to make you, you're going to take a lie detector test. <laughs> Andy asks Kathy if she remembers saying anything. No, I don't. Okay. Lisa starts to talk about how heartbreaking it was to hear those things. And Kathy says, Lisa, I know you're having problems. Andy asks her what those problems are. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> and then she brings up the text messages. And this was like a real flop, Kathy. Like, I don't know what she thought she was doing here. But she brings up the text messages where uh, Lisa had brought up, uh, you know, silence is golden. I'm going to be staying silent. Those things. And she goes, I don't have those text messages on my phone. 
So everybody's like, okay, but Lisa has them on her phone. So <laughs> I think Kathy may have thought that if you delete text messages, it also deletes it off of somebody else's phone. So Lisa hands her phone to Andy and he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm seeing these. So what, what did she think she was going to do with that? Kathy. Oh, well. Um, Lisa asked Kathy how she thought it would make her feel to hear her say all those things about Kyle and wanting to take Kyle's family down. And it's like, why would anybody think about how you felt in that moment, Renna? Why? Well, you tell us. <laughs> you tell us. Please tell the class. But Kathy says, well, I didn't say those things. I said other things. So Kathy says that what she did say was that she had felt dismissed by Kyle. She feels like Kyle hates her sometimes. She also denies throwing her glasses and stomping them on the ground by saying that she has them in the dressing room if Lisa wants to take a look. So Kyle decides that she hasn't had enough attention yet. So she says that her life and her relationship with Kathy was made more difficult by all the stuff getting outside of the group. And Erica says that she didn't actually want to get it out and that she wanted it to be discussed on the reunion. And she also claims that the leak didn't come for her from her because her publicist is also Nikki Hilton, Rothschild's publicist. And I also feel like that literally doesn't matter. Like, Y'all have to understand that we are all hyped to the game now. Like, it doesn't take you telling your publicist to tell some outlet something for something to get there. Like, you could have told Mikey. You could have told anybody. <laughs> like, you could have told probably the press contacts that you have in your own phone. Like, this isn't 1951. You know, like, we understand how these things can get out. Garcelle makes the point of, you know, things that happen in this group always end up on social media and is like, that's right. That's really, really true. And Garcelle's like, um, girl, you're the biggest perpetrator of this. And Lisa's like, no, I'm not. Girl, you're literally doing it probably as we speak. There have been several variants in here. And I'm actually going to talk about one now that I remember it. Lisa posted a screenshot of somebody's tweet, I believe, that was like, um, Kathy let her girl, Paris, be kidnapped so she could then be raped and abused by um, other people. And then she deleted it 20 minutes later, just as Kathy predicted. Um, that's wild, dog. Like, that's a wild thing to say. And... That's like, even if what Kathy did with regard to sending Paris to that school, like unequivocally fucked up, but like to say that you sent your daughter off to be raped, like that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a wild thing to say. And this was just like a few days ago. So what the fuck is Lisa talking about? Um, she, she doesn't do that. Girl, come on. So then... Lisa claims that after getting back from Aspen, the day after she got back, she got a call from TMZ asking about what happened at the club. So the other question, Andrew, would be, um, ladies, did anybody else from TMZ or a different outlet reach out to you guys about what happened? Or was it just Lisa? Because that's very specific. 
you know? And if anybody did reach out to you from TMZ, did you guys say anything or did you say no comment, Lisa? Miss, uh, we don't need to have things get on social media. What did you say? When they called, what did you say? I mean, the questions are right there, Andy. Somebody else has got to ask them anyway. So Kathy says something interesting, which is that she decided to make Kyle happy by apologizing to her on camera. And then Kyle was like, she gets there and she felt like Kyle was like, oh, Lisa's coming and you need to apologize to her on camera too. Of course, Kyle makes herself a victim again and was like, oh, so this is my fault, right? Kathy says, well, I could have apologized to Lisa on the phone, but Lisa, you're the one who wanted this on camera because your contract was coming up and you needed some drama because you fight everybody. <laughs> Lisa says that she doesn't need to <laughs> any drama. <laughs> so Kathy decides to go down the list. She says, you drove Lisa Vanderpump off the show? What you did to my sister? You had problems with everybody. Camille Grammer? I mean, the list can go on and on. And then for you to say that you've been bullied, you're the biggest bully in Hollywood and everyone knows it. <laughs> and so Lisa goes, is that right? And Kathy says, yeah, it is. And you're mean and it's true. And Lisa goes, well, this is sad. And Kathy goes, no, it's not sad. You brought this on yourself. <laughs> oh my God. And then... Lisa goes, no, you brought this on yourself, my sweet dear. You did. Oh, good one. Good one, Lisa. <laughs> and then she goes, this is between you two, meaning you, Kathy, and Kyle. And so Garcelle's whispering over to Sutton, um, is it, if this is between them, then why is she getting herself involved? And Sutton's like, I don't know. I, <laughs> girl, I don't know. <laughs> Kathy asks a million dollar question of... Lisa, if you care about our sisterhood so much, then why didn't you say that that night? You know, and Lisa's like, well, because you were screaming like a banshee. I didn't have the opportunity again. So <laughs> then she says, uh, Kathy says that she didn't say anything about anybody on the cast being useless or anything like that. And Garcelle and Sutton are basically like, honestly, we really don't care, to be honest. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> Garcelle says, what I want to know is that like, if this situation, if what you're doing, Lisa, is messing Kyle and Kathy up, then why don't you just leave it alone? So Lisa says that Kathy attacked her in the house in Aspen. Well, she abused me. It, it was abuse me. It, it was abusive. And it doesn't have to be physical for it to be abuse, Garcelle. And Garcelle's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> See, the way they come for Garcelle is like, girl, <laughs> she just asked you a question. So Andy says, so Lisa, but you've screamed and yelled at people, yeah, like a lot. And Lisa Renna's response is, so? <laughs> so somebody is like, okay, Lisa, if Kyle's made it pretty clear that she wants to be sisters with her sister, how do you let it go? And Lisa's like, well, I'm letting it go right now. It's on YouTube to work out whatever it is, and I'll absolve myself from this day forward. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lisa. Now that you have gotten the, the match and the lighter fluid, and you put it right on that bridge, and you made sure you got all the four points so that it would be very thorough, and it is now charred to bits, and, and the fire department came to sweep up the charred bits, and they 
put some caution tape across that river. The bridge is gone. And now you want to absolve yourself and wish everybody the best. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so, so much. So Andy says, well, I think the viewers want to know why it is that you were so dogmatically involved in getting in between these sisters. And Lisa says again that she was just traumatized by what happened in that house. Bottom line. Okay, well, that doesn't work, Lisa. <laughs> so then Andy says, okay, well, everything that you've seen on the show, this is the thing that traumatized you? And Lisa goes, Andy, this was in the dark. <laughs> Okay, the lights weren't on. Okay, that's why you were traumatized. Because the lights weren't on. Okay. Not the bottom line being you didn't turn the light switch on. Rena. <laughs> so Andy says, no, Rena, like, seriously, you've seen some really dark shit on this show. And she's like, you know, I, I know it. And it's affected me very deeply. This was way worse than Kim. Way, way worse. Nothing close. So if you really want to go there... I saw the devil, and you, Kathy, were a fucking monster, and that was that. <laughs> okay, well, that's that then. Thank you, Renna. That's a wrap on Renna. Just, just let her go. <laughs> let her go. So Andy asks Kyle how she's feeling, and she's like, well, I'm just very hurt, and I feel like I always get blamed for things in the family when I didn't do anything. And then this whole thing came out, and it made it all worse, and it set us back. And the only one who's affected by this is me, and I'm the only one who gets fucked. I get fucked with you, Lisa. I'm getting fucked with Kathy. I'm getting fucked with her side of the family. And it always ends up like this for me. So Doreen tries to smooth things over by being like, you guys are blood and you know that there are going to be some bumps in the road, but hopefully in the end, it'll make you guys stronger. And Kyle's like, but I'm tired of the bumps. And then this starts bleeds into my relationship with like her, her nieces and her nephews and Andy brings up that Paris has been uh, liking a lot of tweets uh, that are basically like a big F you to her Auntie Kyle, which is what we know she's actually upset about. And Kyle's like, yeah, it just hurts me a lot. And Kathy says, well, Paris is very, very protective over her mother. <laughs> so Kyle says, you know, she just needs to end up in a better place with Kathy. And Kathy kind of shakes her head and is like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> And so Kyle turns and goes, well, you don't know because of what? Tell me. And Kathy's like, I honestly don't want to talk about it. So Kyle gets her to say something. She's like, no, like, I don't want to talk about it. So then Andy takes over and he's like, okay, well, Kyle, let me tell tell you something. Uh, Kathy, Farrah's getting married in the spring. And Kathy's like, mm-hmm. And I'm very happy for her. <laughs> so then Andy asks Kathy if her family's going to be attending Farrah's wedding and Kathy's like I'm sure <laughs> she's not going it, that that PJ flight got canceled so quick so quickly and it's not there and not <laughs> she's not gonna be there <laughs> I should laugh at that that's actually pretty sad sad and fucked up but like girl I'm sure I'm sure so Kyle finally asks somebody else about their feelings and is like why are you upset that I'm upset? And Kathy's like, well, because you're kind of acting like a martyr and you're acting like the only person to get hurt. And it's really not fair to me. Thank you, Kathy. So Kyle keeps crying. 
And finally, Dorit chimes in and says, well, I just think that Kathy wants you to accept a little bit of responsibility. But Kyle snaps at Dorit and is like, well, I just don't want you to get involved right now. Like, please don't say anything. So Kathy ends it by being like, you know, I'm just kind of shocked about what what's happening right now. And Lisa decides to chime in and goes, yeah, well, you can understand why I was shocked. And then Kyle's finally like, Lisa, stop it. Like, this is the kind of stuff that and the taunting on Instagram, the social media that only hurts me. So then Kyle gives Kathy the maybe most disconnected and coldest hug I've ever seen. Like I've seen people in the mafia who know that they're about to kill each other, give more warm hugs than what Kathy gave to Kyle. And you know what? Kyle takes, or Kathy rather takes her half empty bottled crystal geyser and heads out. Mm. So as Kathy is walking off stage, Kyle keeps crying and she's like, See, now things are completely done between us. And then we see Kathy getting her mic off backstage. And she just says, nightmare. (laughs) So they're trying to wrap up the reunion. And Kyle's whispering to Sutton and Garcelle, like, I can't really do the cheers right now. And Garcelle's like, yeah, you really can't. Like, that would seem pretty phony. So on the other couch, Lisa's whispering to Erica and Dorit, we're going to get blamed for this. And Dorit, in like... I mean, the last minute Hail Mary for Dorit was like, I think we're at the point where this has gone. No, we're good. Like, everything's been said. What do you have to gain now? And and Dorit is saying this toward uh, Rinna. So then Kyle (laughs) asks Andy if she can leave because she doesn't want to sit through the toast. So Andy's like, oh, let me ask my producer in my headset. No, she can't. Okay, we'll just make this real quick, Kyle. Just just cry through it. So then they have to sit. Kyle has to sit there crying while Andy's doing his like stereotypical, hey, ladies, Crystal, Dorit, Sutton, what have you learned this season? What are you going to take into to the next round? The girl just crying, just weeping and weeping. Can't even speak. So then... Suddenly, a bunch of sweaty glasses, short glasses of Belvedere soda with three lemons carcass out, come out. And everybody cheers, except for Kyle, who just, like, fist bumps everybody with her knuckle while everybody clinks her glass. (laughs) Still crying. Still crying. Andy gives Kyle this very long hug before she walks off stage. And then the screen says five minutes later. Dorit's knocking on on, uh, Kyle's door and she says, you know, I mean, the cinematography of this was so funny because Kyle's sitting there in her makeup chair, right? Like whatever happened to baby Jane and Dorit's standing like in front of her. So we see like the reflection of Kyle in the mirror while Dorit's in the foreground talking to her. And she's like, listen, I'm, t- I talk to you like a sister. I talk to Kathy like a sister and I just feel like you should have known Kyle that you weren't going to come out of this night thinking tomorrow me and Kathy are going to be great. Like you kind of had to know that. Right. And I was like, well, we were supposed to figure things out. And I could just tell by the way we ended this conversation that we didn't. So Dorit says, well, you know what? Now it's out of everybody else's hands. It's in yours and Kathy's. And that's the most important thing of the day. Like now you and Kathy can handle it on your own without everybody's intervention, but I'll help. <laughs> okay, Dorit. 
The greatest thing that we've learned that it's in your two hands. Nobody else should get involved, but I will help you. (laughs) And then she gives this hug. She calls Kyle baby several times. Kathy's going off in a golf cart. And I think it said that um, Kathy and Kyle had not spoken from the reunion until BravoCon. What do we think, guys? Like, I think... There's just, like, no way that Rinna can come back, right? Like, I'm not even saying this on some hater shit. Like, I'm saying this as a completely neutral party. Like, I just don't see how Rinna can come back. Right? That's wild. I have a feeling Dorit's going to get knocked down to friend of, which is probably why she's been trying to... um. Uh, you know, make some drama between her and Erica to clinch them another season since they haven't started uh, filming yet. We'll see. My dream team, obviously, Garcelle, Sutton, Crystal. We can keep Dorit. Honestly, I'm going to say something, a hot take here. If Rinna gets kicked out, like, Halfway into next season, I'm willing to have her back on. If this is like a takedown, we have Kathy back. We have Kim back. I know that Kathy did a, um, I mean, truly throwback paparazzi interview outside of some sort of medical center with Faye Resnick (laughs) talking about her thoughts and feelings on Erica and Rinna. And she did say that she would not want to come back if... Uh, they both came there. And a lot of people gave her a lot of flack for saying that and being like, she's just a friend of, why does she think she can call the shots? And it's like, she was asked a question and she answered it. Did you not want her to answer it? I don't know what we're getting so upset about. <laughs> but anyway, um, if Kim could come back, I feel like we could talk Kathy into coming back if Kim also came back and then they all became like the Powerpuff Girls, the three of them, and took Rena down. That's what I would love. Anyway, I'm so happy to be done. I think a lot of people are feeling the same. We'll be back next week with Just Potomac and Salt Lake City. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Bye.